0: This is just a quick message to let you know that Elucidations now has a blog. Check it out at lucian, that's L-U-C-I-A-N, lucian.uchicago.edu, slash blogs, slash elucidations. Check it out. Let us know what you think. Two Elucidations, a philosophy podcast ordinarily recorded at the University of Chicago, but which today is being brought to you from Amsterdam. With me today is Frank Veltman, professor of logic and philosophy at the Institute for Logic, Language, and Computation at the University of Amsterdam, and he is here to talk to us about normality. Frank Veltman, welcome.
1: Thank you, Matt. I'm excited to be here. (laughs)
0: So, you are interested in the word normal. What is so interesting about that word?
1: Well, something got interesting, if you see it, it brings a lot of problems, and in this case philosophical problems and logical problems. I think what got me into it was long ago, maybe even before I started doing philosophy, or maybe it was one of the reasons why I wanted to do philosophy, I was interested in prejudice. Prejudices come often with the word normal, right? If you think of yeah. really vicious prejudices like racial or sexist prejudices, and then it's always a, these people are
0: abnormal. and uh, Right. Why are you bullying this person? Well, because he's abnormal. He deserves it. You know, it's a justification for.
1: Yeah. Right. For mistreating people and, uh, well, all kinds of stuff. I also was wondering why people stick to these prejudices and why it's so difficult to convince them that they're wrong in entertaining them. And gradually I discovered that basically our entire life is guided by prejudices only, and and everybody's life is guided by them, but usually they're not as vicious as the ones (laughs) ones I started thinking about. But uh, whatever you do, I mean, given that you have to act usually in circumstances where your information is not complete, you have to take a decision, What shall I do? Then usually you act using rules of the form. Well, you know, in circumstances like this, what normally happens is that and that and that. Therefore, I will have to do this and this and this. You see a car, you see that the traffic lights are red. So you feel safe because cars normally stop before a a red traffic light. And so you dare to cross the street. So at that point, you are exploiting a prejudice. You're saying, oh yeah, cars normally stop before a red traffic light, so let me go. Or you see um, a mosquito, you don't give the poor animal a chance to say, listen, I'm not going to <laughs> to pick you. Because normally what these animals do is they bite you. Yeah. So, um, so that's also an action that you take. Uh, without being fully informed, but you think, okay, normally what these things do is bite, and therefore I kill Whereas the mosquito at issue could have been an exception to the rule, because that's important, you know, to know um, that such sentences of the form A's normally have property B, they allow for exceptions. Also in the case of vicious prejudices, um, nowadays it's fashionable to say that the Greeks are lazy,
0: but of course, my best friends are Greeks,
1: and they're not lazy at all, you know, so there are exceptions to the rule.
0: And it works in the traffic light case as well, doesn't it? Because, sure, I mean, normally people stop when there's a red light, but every once in a while, maybe a drunk driver will go right through the red light.
1: Yeah, so that's one of the reasons why it's so difficult to to get hold of what these sentences exactly mean and how you can um, discuss with prejudiced people and...
0: Yeah, so you have an example of offensive ethnic prejudice. Greek people are lazy. And then you want to say, no, that's not true. That's a horrible thing to think about, Greek people. That's just a stereotype, and we shouldn't let stereotypes influence our thinking. But then, wait a minute, that seems too extreme, too, because sometimes we have to let stereotypes influence our thinking, as in the red light case. I mean, you know, if you want to drive to work properly, you have to assume that people going the other direction are going to stop at the red light, Right. So this is sort of the the dilemma. Like, what's wrong about saying that Greek people are lazy, but right about saying that people stop at a red light?
1: Well, of course, I mean, the easy answer is to say, well, the one is true and the other is not. But in this case, it's hard to actually decide what it means for such a sentence to be true. Because when we say um, Greeks are normally lazy or Dutch people are normally blonde or, you know, we don't mean to say all Greeks are lazy. In that case, it would be easy to convince somebody else that what he thinks is false, right? Because then one counter example, look at me, I'm Dutch, I'm not blonde. I've never been blonde. So you have to give up this idea that Dutch people are blonde. It also is different from Most Greeks are lazy or most Dutchmen are blonde or most cars stop in front of a red light, even though often if one is true, the other is is also true. But um, it's not a statistical law which is expressed by these sentences. But it is a kind of law. That it is really different, you can only notice if you look at the logical properties of, um, say, the word most as opposed to the word normal. They really have logical, uh, different logical properties. Just to give an example, um, when it's not the case that most Dutchmen are blonde, then it follows that most Dutchmen are not blonde. Okay? But when it's not the case that Dutchmen are normally blonde, it doesn't follow that Dutchmen are normally not blonde. I mean, neither blond nor not blond has to be a normal property of Dutchman, right? They can have any, if, if Dutchman can have any hair color, right, you see? So there you see one example where the logical properties differ. Also, I hope you, you just feel that well, most is just a matter of numbers and normal, that's a matter of law. And there is something moral about it. The norm for Dutchman is to be blond. Yeah, but it's not usually a real moral law. It's a way to explain how the world is organized, right? And what the normal things are in the world. The norms according to which the world develops, or something like that.
0: So, if Dutchmen are normally blonde, I mean, in what sense exactly is that moral? So, I mean, surely it's not, it doesn't make you a great person if you're blonde. But maybe it's moral in some other kind of sense?
1: Yeah, well, okay, I have to speculate now. I mean, but people say to each other, be normal, or in Dutch, do normal. And of course it's ridiculous to, if it's just a matter of fact, whether, say, Dutchmen are normally blonde, that they have to be normal. But, okay, let me tell you what I think about it. So this is more or less speculative. I think in the old days there was no difference between, say, natural laws and moral laws. I think originally people thought, I think, of natural laws just as moral laws imposed by the gods, on the world, if you think of it that way, even if it's a speculation. So then you can see that according to the gods, the world has to behave in a certain way. So those are the norms, the normal cases. If the world doesn't behave in that way, then it's bad, okay? So in biology, I mean, you have lots of these laws, like bears normally hibernate. If there's a bear doesn't hibernate, we often think there's something wrong, right? Oh. Probably it's not living in optimal, again, a moral uh, word, circumstances. Because in normal circumstances, bears hibernate. And they don't do that in the zoo, for instance. It's not just a matter of fact when you say normal. You, you get the feeling, I mean, uh, because if you look at it just from the outside, you think, uh, okay, most bears hibernate, but there are some don't. And the ones that live in the zoo, they don't without there being anything bad about either situation, right? But no, that's not how we think. When you say it's normal for bears to hibernate, and so what happens in the zoo is abnormal, there's always this thing about it that it's not
0: good. Yeah, you might say there's some kind of like value judgment that goes with the word normal.
1: Yeah, there is a kind of value judgment in the word normal and... Um, Yeah, of course, I mean, and sometimes you don't have it when you say uh, Chinese people normally eat with chopsticks or then it's more or less gone, uh, this idea. But I think the the origin of this word is really, well, it has the word norm in it. I don't, the word normal, but uh, the origin is really a moral origin and uh, it's lost in many cases, but... uh, So, for instance, uh, when you say um, people normally are heterosexual, right? And that's a fact, I think. Especially if you take it in a factual way, right? Most people are uh, heterosexual. But then it's easy from that to say, okay, so to be homosexual is abnormal. Then if you give that this moral flavor, you see, then you get to condemning homosexuality, you see? So I think it would be better to have a word normal, without all these this ethical taste to it, but it comes with this. And, um, and certainly when we are talking about uh, real prejudice, it comes with this
0: ethical meaning. The hypothesis is that back in the day, at the dawn of civilization, we had this sort of very theistic, very animist conception of the way the world was. It was built by gods, and since everything was made by the gods, Uh, That meant that there was a way things were supposed to be and that if they weren't the way they were supposed to be, they were somehow defective or there was something wrong with them. But now, of course, we've purged ourselves of that picture of the way the world is. We now have a much more sort of depersonalized, oh, it's just inert matter interacting or whatever, you know, picture of the way the world is set up. And we no longer make the kind of positive value judgments like, ah, this is it normally rains a lot in the Netherlands we no longer impute any kind of value to that whatsoever. It's not like, oh, if it doesn't rain, that's bad. So we've sort of, we've held on to this uh, Well,
1: of... uh, you, you still think, well, then, then this is not a real Dutch... That's true. So let's take this, I like this example of women normally can't play chess. Then um, you point to a famous female chess player, to somebody who thinks so, and you say, and oh, now what about her? And then a typical reaction in that circumstance is, oh, but she's not a real woman. For instance, she's a lesbian. I mean, if you want it real bad, that's the way things go, right?
0: Sometimes or, this um, is called like, the no true Scotsman fallacy. When, yeah. you know, whenever you come up with a counterexample, the person says, oh, that's not a real such and such. You know, yeah, that's yeah. not a real woman. That's not a real Scotsman.
1: Yeah, okay. Then, so that's the reaction. And um, the irony, I think, of the case is that that, that is a proper move in this game if you can explain away a counterexample right then you don't have to give up the prejudice i think that's how it goes i mean the best counterexamples are the counterexamples that as soon as i give a counterexample that you cannot explain away and actually i think that this female chess player is such a counterexample right then you should be so good a sportsman to give up the prejudice so yes, so what what matters really, if you want to uh, falsify um, such a sentence of the form "A's are normally B," is just like any universal prejudice, like "All A's are B." What you have to find is an A without a property B, and confront the person who holds the prejudice with that object, and then this person should not be able to explain that counterexample away. I mean, like an easy case where. Human beings usually have two legs. We all know that there are many, many human beings. Without two legs, that doesn't make us give up the prejudice because in all these cases, we there is an accident. Why? We can explain how it comes that this person, instead of the original two legs, now has one leg, or how by some defect in the genetic, output, this person got only one leg, stuff like that, right? There is. You always have a... You can always have an explanation of how this thing became an exception. The other way around is much more difficult. I mean, if you can also think, no, in fact, people normally have one leg. And the people with two legs, they're the exception. So imagine that's what you think. Okay, so you think people normally have one leg. So when I point at somebody and then look at me, I have two legs. Then in that circumstance you have to come up with a story that explains how I got those two legs rather than the the one leg that is genetically built in right so and you don't have a story like that you see so that's the difference I hope it's clear what I mean
0: take it back to the traffic light versus Greek people are lazy example so you might think Greek people are normally lazy and people normally stop at traffic lights are the same kind of statement because they, in some sense, can tolerate exceptions. They're not strict generalizations. They're not saying that every single last Greek person in the world with no exceptions whatsoever is lazy. You're saying normally Greek people are lazy. And then the question that gave rise to was if indeed these are like legitimate statements to make, if we need to make normality statements, what is it that differentiates the statement about Greek people from the statement about traffic lights. The statement about traffic lights is unproblematic, but the statement about Greek people is offensive. And it seems like what you're proposing here is a criterion for figuring out, you know, which are the false statements about normality and which are the true statements about normality. Namely, in the case of the true statements about what's normal, it's not that there are no exceptions, but that whenever there is an exception, we can come up with a good explanation for why it fails to have the property that things of that kind normally have whereas with a false statement about what's normal, there are exceptions that, as it were, can't be explained away. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And the other thing is, of course, um, lazy in itself is an evaluative statement, right? Yeah. So, so compare this with hibernate. That be, That's not evaluative. So bears normally hibernate. That's not an evaluative statement. You have a story, even, that in the case of bears, there is a, th- a kind of explanation of how this hibernation came about, why that is as it were, an essential property of bears or uh, genetic properties of bears or of the kind of bears or something like that. So there is a whole... It's almost so a a property of the kind, okay? Now, how can laziness, which is an evaluative thing, be a property of a kind? So I think not all properties are properties that can be predicated as normal.
0: Okay, so that's one way to explain how, when you say... A is normally B you're really saying something because that's a way to distinguish real counterexamples that actually falsify the statement A is normally B from mere apparent counterexamples that can still be true when A is normally B is true what if i were to try an alternative explanation what if i were to say look normality statements are fine when you're making a statement that biologists make when you're talking about some kind of animal or some kind of plant but you just can't make them about people you know, we get into ethical problems when we uh, start treating groups of people the way we treat animals. Do you think that's right?
1: Oh, no, 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 that's not... In one thing, I think you're right. I think where these statements are really sensible and meaningful is in biology, right? Because, yeah, when you talk about natural kinds, you you have the kind of objects of which you can say that... uh, the the animals or plants or whatever belonging to that kind normally have these and these properties (coughs) because that's their genetic outfit and also there you have exceptions, right, so that's fine. Where things go wrong if you impose that conceptual scheme which works well for biology on other contexts like, roughly speaking, kinds of people, men versus women, or the Greeks versus the Dutch, or and so forth and so forth because it's not clear that there you have the underlying structure that normality statements want that's one thing because so to speak the Greeks that's not a natural kind or the Dutch okay so that's one reason the other thing that goes wrong is when we talk um, in biology when we do biology then we talk about properties like hibernate and uh, and you know all that kind of stuff but that's that's something else as talking about lazy and alcoholists and you know like using all kinds of value statements and predicate all kinds of evaluate properties from kinds I mean so I think you are a, a real serious scientist and want to investigate whether the Greeks are lazy so how how you can measure how active people are in some way. They get up at da 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 da, they go to bed da 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 da, in between they do this and this and this and then and then and that. And then you say, and I call this lazy? So then you are making an evaluative judgment, which has nothing to do with the property uh, the Greeks have, <laughs> that you can investigate. It's like saying, these shoes are expensive and the shoes cost $300. Other people don't find that expensive, okay? It's an evaluative thing. So if you earn lots of money, you find it cheap. Other people find, no, $300, my God, that's very expensive. So this is not a thing that you can decide by just looking at the shoes or even looking at the price. Do you see what I mean? And lazy belongs in that category of words. So if politicians start using this word and claim that... Actually, there was a, an Oxford professor who claimed that the Greeks are lazy, yeah. And it was used on Dutch radio and, and it influences the decisions of the Dutch voters and politicians about how should we give more loans to Greece because what get, they're gonna spend our money, do nothing with it because they're so lazy they only want to lay on their back and enjoy life. I mean, that's how it goes.
0: Okay, so an additional problem with some of these uh, statements that express prejudices that we were talking about, an additional problem with them is that these are really evaluative statements, and it's not clear what it would be to be objectively lazy or objectively sloppy or whatever. Maybe it's not clear how you would sort of scientifically investigate, get to the ultimate fact of the matter about who is or isn't lazy. Does that mean that when you say, for example, Dutch people normally ride bikes, or something where it's not... You're not you know, saying it's good or bad. Does that, that mean that's actually, not it? that one seems true, right? Right, that one seems true, right, okay.
1: There's nothing wrong with that one, I think. There's yeah. people normally the ride bikes, so you can expect your friend is coming to visit you that he, uh, and you live in Amsterdam that he is coming by bike. And Absolutely, yeah. So there's, no, that's fine.
0: Yeah, so... It, um, so
1: i mean, not saying that all these statements are objectionable. No, some are fine and work in the right way.
0: But it's the evaluative ones in particular...
1: No, 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 it's... it's um, yeah, but it, so there's the evaluative ones are terrible, yes, and the non-evaluative ones are not. maybe not so terrible, but still they are hard to falsify. They are unproblematic in the sense that they don't cause any harm to anybody, but still you can go, except to the one who holds them. <laughs> if you think that bears are not dangerous when you meet them in the wild... Or normally leave you alone when you meet them in the wild. Things can go wrong, right? So, yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. So how do you convince somebody who believes that?
1: <laughs> oh no, bears! No, you can just go walk there.
0: You can you can <laughs> scream at them. You know, you can throw rocks at them. They love it. Yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we've been talking about sort of like insults, like lazy. But what about like normality statements involving praise? Like, I mean, the interesting thing is that those can also be offensive. So, for example, a lot of East Asians would be offended by the statement, East Asians are normally good at math. I have come across people who find such statements offensive because even though it's a positive stereotype, it, like, it, stereotype. it, it unfairly constrains the kind of life that people expect you to be able to lead if you're East Asian, and maybe you don't want to live under those constraints or something.
1: Yeah, stereotyping, yes, I, I see that. So, for instance, where I come from, people are usually Catholic and they have a certain accent, and I have that accent too, and then the default is, in this case, people with a soft G are normally Catholic. (laughs) Okay? So when people hear me talk, they will sort of assume that I'm Catholic. Yeah, okay, they're wrong, but uh, then I am an exception to the rule, I think, in this case, because I think I'm an exception to the rule, but I still think that they can... Stick to the default in this case, even though I feel offended if people think of that. I'm a real exception to the rule, I mean, and the rule is still fine.
0: In line with what we were saying before, you're an exception that doesn't pose a problem to the rule because there's a good explanation for why you're not Catholic. Sure, Yeah. yeah. In common sense, everyday reasoning, we think a lot about what's normally the case, and that this involves making sort of loose generalizations that can sometimes have exceptions, that don't falsify them. And when you bring this into the realm of statements about people, this can have problematic consequences because it can mean that it can be very difficult to convince a xenophobe that he or she is wrong. What do you think we should do about this situation? Is the answer to find real counterexamples and show that there's no explanation for why they're a counterexample? Or how do we, uh, now that we've identified this problem in the way we have, what do you think is the solution?
1: I'm still trying to understand the mechanisms that we have been talking about. Um, I'm not sure that what we said was really the last words about it. I'm sure we didn't. But uh, So I'm trying to understand the mechanisms, and I think that what should happen is that people are aware of these mechanisms. I think nobody wants to be prejudiced. But th- I think nowadays what happens is, as in the case of the Greeks, the Dutch... <laughs> no say the Greeks are lazy and what happens is a culture attack where they say, listen, most Greeks work many more hours per week than most Dutch people. Actually, in Holland, most people work part-time, stuff like that. Or it's not true that the Greeks take their pension at 50 years. So you see, what happens is that one fights these prejudices in the wrong way. By taking them for granted and then talking about giving a two-quote argument to the people who hold them, right? Saying the Dutch are even worse. So how can you think that? That's totally the wrong way to deal with them. So um, the only way I see is learn. I mean, try to understand the mechanisms, know in which context they work, in which context they are right to use, and uh, understand their logical properties, which are uh, quite capricious in a way. And go for the right counterexamples. If you really find that I am holding a bad prejudice, find a counterexample that I cannot explain away. I mean, and be aware that that's what you have to do. That's what people have to know. I think even in these cases, only one counterexample is enough, but it has to have the right
0: quality. I like that. It reminds me of this line at the beginning of the book by the famous Polish logician Alfred Tarski. Uh, where he seems to have this, maybe it's a bit utopian, but he has this remark to the effect that, look, in these tumultuous times, he was writing you know, during World War II, logic really has something to offer because it allows us to cast a critical glance on the things we say and the things we take to be reasons for other things we believe. And um, studying the logic of normality is a great example of how that can work in practice. You know, What you just said reminded me of that. Yeah. Yeah. Frank Veltman? Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. If you have any questions about this episode, you can post them to our blog at Lucian, lucian.uchicago.edu slash blogs slash elucidations. On the blog, you can get background information on the topics we covered and join in the discussion.